0: The Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast is coming to you with support from Maslow. Maslow helps you kickstart new life skills with a combination of personalized coaching and experiential learning. You get two weeks of daily customized guidance and accountability from an expert coach, plus 10 minute daily activities to teach you new skills through the power of practice. It's all on your schedule. You decide when to start, when to practice, and when to interact with your coach. While Maslow has tons of programs from mindful meditation to time management, to body maintenance, be sure to check out the link in the show notes and explore the program I coach for, the Common Connected Parenting Program. Maslow, we help anyone, anywhere actualize their personal growth ambitions. welcome back podcast listeners to another week of the joyful courage parenting podcast i am so excited for my guest this week and i know that you are too we've been talking about how exciting it is to have an expert on the siblings raising siblings challenge on the show and uh, today it is dr laura markham And she, if you don't already know who she is, she is the mastermind behind Ahaparenting.com. She's also a trained clinical psychologist and has a PhD from Columbia University. Also, Dr. Laura is a mom and she translates proven science into the practical solutions you need for the family life you want. Sounds great Mm -hmm. to me. She has a couple of books out as well: Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids: How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting, as well as Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings: How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. So please help me welcome Dr. Laura Markham to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Casey. I'm excited and, to be here. Yeah, I'm. I'm such. A, I'm a longtime fan of yours, and really just so honored to have you on the show. And today we're going to talk about siblings.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So how, first let's start, how old are your kids?
1: My son has turned 24. He's, he's so far, you know, he's out of college two years now and my daughter is 20. So she just left the teen years. So uh, they're four years apart. Mm -hmm. So uh, when uh, when she left the teen years, I can no longer even say, you know mother of teenagers so so now I have young adults, but the great thing is you can see how they turn out yeah and it is so beautiful, so inspiring and encouraging and validating that you know they were raised everything I write about that's what I did with them mm-hmm. and they show it, which is really really um a joy to see and you know I'm not ready for grandchildren yet but I can't wait to see the parents that they're going to end up being.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah I often find you know I notice when people say oh it goes by so fast or I don't you know I'm sad that my youngest is starting kindergarten all I can think about is you know what time is moving at the perfect pace and Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to relationships with my adult children.
2: Mm,
1: Yes. That
0: sounds really dreamy.
1: It is so wonderful, and I'm happy to say they still want to talk to us, they still want to hang out with us, and uh, nothing makes me happier than to spend time with my children at this point. Yeah.
0: Well, and in your book, Your Peaceful Parents, Happy Siblings book, you start off talking about the practices of peaceful parenting, and when I hear you talk about your grown kids and seeing the results of your work, right, and of your... Mm -hmm philosophy Mm -hmm. on raising them. Can you talk a little bit about what, you know, specifically you talk about three practices. Um, Can you tell the listeners a little bit about how that is connected to raising siblings? Oh,
1: absolutely. So the three practices that I recommend to parents are these. First, regulate your own emotions because you're the role model and children develop their ability to self-regulate directly from us. Their limbic system, the emotional system, actually develops in response to the emotional experiences they have with us. And that includes our ability to self-regulate. So self-regulation is the first thing. You know, most things you read about parenting, they say, calmly tell your child what the limit is. Mm -hmm. Well, most of us don't calmly tell our child what the limit is. (laughs) And so right there, we're already, you know, modeling something that isn't what we want. And then we wonder why our kid is yelling at his brother. Well, Mm -hmm. it's because we yelled at him. Mm -hmm. So you can see in your children the way they treat each other. Uh, A mom just posted on my Facebook page this beautiful little video vignette of her two-year-old and her four-year-old who were pretending they were at the beach. They were in the living room, but they were pretending they were playing at the beach. And the two-year-old said to the four-year-old, it's time to go home now. And the four-year-old said, no, I don't want to leave the beach. And the two-year-old said, I know it's hard to go. It's time to go now. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought exactly. Siblings will treat each other the way you treat them. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I recommend to parents is connection. Mm -hmm. Because your relationship with your child it's a relationship. That's that's what it is. It's not a set of strategies. It's not mm-hmm. a manipulation. It's a relationship. And if your child feels warmly connected to you, trusts that you've really got her back, that you're on her side, she's going to come to you when she is in trouble. She's going to want to follow your lead. She's not going to lie to you. And so not that all children don't try lying when they're mm-hmm. five, when they first learn it's possible, but when you cultivate that relationship with your child of connection, then she's open to following your lead. So I think connection is 80 or 90% of parenting because without it, they won't follow our guidance. The third thing that I recommend to all parents is think of yourself as a coach. You know, we're told as parents that we should control our child's behavior, but the truth is you can't control anybody but you. And so... If you can think of yourself as a coach, your job is not to get in there and play the game for your child. You're not doing their science fair project for them or whatever. You're instead coaching your child to do their very best, whether it's on the science fair project or in teaching them to get along with their sibling. Because, you know, we assume when we say be nice, play nicely, we assume that children know what that means. They don't know what playing nicely is. What we need to do is to say, did you like that when he hit you? No. Tell him. Say, stop. Mm -hmm. No shoving. Right? And we need to coach our child to stand up for herself. And we need to coach the other one to say, it looks like you wanted your sister to move. Right? We need to start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. They're not just being a nasty person. You know, it looks like you wanted your sister to move. Tell her, can you move, please? I need to get my truck. Right? So we're giving them the words. And... That's what a coach would do as opposed to somebody who's just thinking in terms of yelling and punishing because obviously he just shoved his sister and, you know, then she shoved him back and now we've got an altercation. We can instead look at all of those conflicts in our home as opportunities to coach our children to learn how to get along with each other. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. I love that. It makes me think when my kids were really little. And my kids are two years, eight months apart, and my little boy, who's the youngest, just still to this day at 10, and she's 13, idolizes his big sister, and he used to go barreling into her room, and she'd say, get out, get out, get out, and he'd say, I want to play with you, and she'd say, I don't want to play with you, and I'd offer some coaching, and I would suggest, you know, Rowan, why don't you, what could you say that would give him a little bit of hope? That at some point today, you're going to be willing to play with him. And so she'd say, I'll play with you in 10 minutes. And he'd say, okay. And off he'd trot onto the next thing and it would be fine. Because he knew that, you know, in a certain amount of time, she would be willing to play with him. And that small little tweak was so powerful for them. I loved that. And I love, you know… All three of these things, I think, are so important and powerful and something I want to tattoo on every single parent. Um, Connection, I think, is our biggest, most and relationship is our most powerful tool for influencing behavior, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. I love
0: that. I love that. And I love to remind parents of that. Um, And then talking about self-regulation, so I have a question for you. Okay. Was self-regulation really easy for you? Did it come really natural when your kids were young or is it something that you had to work at? You know, I
1: think of myself as someone who has big feelings and, you know, I, I know that because I watched my daughter who was so much like me who was a little hellion and, you know, really <laughs> had a lot of big feelings. But with my children, I didn't find it difficult the, the, um, the place I had a hard time regulating was with my husband when the Mm -hmm. kids were little, because I was, uh, wishing he would do more and I didn't have the skills to communicate with him about it. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: once I learned those skills, really what, what, what happened even before I learned the skills is that I decided to be different. I decided that I noticed that about once a month, I would just have this tantrum and I would scream at him that he wasn't doing enough around the house and he wasn't, you know, he was always gone and he was working all the time and whatever. And maybe the third or fourth time that happened, I thought, oh my goodness, this is not who I want to be. I didn't sign up to be like this. What Mm -hmm. happened to me? And yes, I was sleep deprived. You know, I had two little kids, but still, I didn't want to be that person. And I just started by, committing to notice when I was storing up kindling. When I would mm-hmm. find myself sort of muttering as I did the work and he, you know, went off to do something or didn't get home from work, you know, three days in a row until midnight or whatever, I I began to say something rather than just sort of muttering to myself. You know, I joke that if you gather enough kindling, you're going to have a firestorm. Right. So I just stopped gathering kindling. I started saying Wow, you know, and I started also not attacking him, but saying what I needed. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired, and I just stayed up. I finally got the kids in bed, and then I did the dishes, and I've just folded the laundry. And now you're coming in the house, and you're in such a good mood, and you want to talk. And you know what? I can't help but feel resentful. Like, like you've just been out. You know, I know it was for work, but you were at a work dinner, having fun, having a drink. You know, and here I am holding our family together. And when I was able to start talking about it in terms of my feelings instead of his failings, Mm -hmm. actually, everything shifted. And I think that is the secret to what we want to teach our children also, that there's a way for us to teach our children how to express their needs to each other. Yes, I want you to move so I can get my truck, you know. There's a way to do that without attacking the mm-hmm. other person. And so I learned that really in my marriage, but I used it in teaching my children how to get along.
0: I think it's so powerful when um, people can hear the experts talking about their own struggles and their own work and their own practices. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, because it doesn't, you know, and I, I know that there are some amazing books And amazing bloggers and amazing advice that's just, well, you just have to calm down. You know, it's just (laughs) like a child, the last thing they want to hear when they're fired up is, you need to calm down. You know, I think it's the same... Um, often with our kids, we have, we play with the Dan Siegel brain in the palm of the hand signal. Yes. Yes. And so my kids, it's common language in our house and, and the kids call me out as well and they'll say, Mm -hmm. mom, you're flipped. And I have to be graceful enough to recognize it and do something about it rather than, you know, responding with, yeah, I know, (laughs) (laughs) but it is work. It's a practice. You know, It's all a
1: practice, and I I really want to encourage parents listening to this to be gentle with themselves about it, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is – we all start from wherever we were. I happen to have a father who was very patient and wonderful with me, and I think I learned a lot from his parenting. And, you know, I think that – if you didn't have a parent who could do that, if neither one of your parents could do it, then you're not going to find it easy. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to start from where you are and you know every step in the right direction, every time you can resist acting when you're angry, every time you're rewiring your brain, you're actually slowing down your amygdala so it doesn't think there's an emergency and you're giving the prefrontal cortex a little more leverage over the emotional part of the brain so that next time there's something that feels like an emergency you've got stronger neural pathways to keep you from flipping your lid and so I just I just want parents to know that it's hard hard work but every step in the right direction takes you closer to where you want to be and makes it a little easier it does get easier over time I mean I it's been you know I don't know how many years since I lost my temper, 20, you know, um, 15. And seriously, it it was hard work to do that, Mm -hmm. but it got easier at every step. And that doesn't mean that I don't get triggered now. It's just so, and of course, who do I get triggered at? My your own, own mother. mother. Oh, your own mother. My own mother.
0: Sorry, has, that's my story, stuff, not your story.
1: Right. right. So <laughs> she, well, no, I think I learned a lot with my husband and our mm. relationship got changed dramatically and it's very good at this point.
0: Hey, everybody, listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done, and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas, and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics, put it to the music that I picked and the results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever.
1: Um, not that I don't get triggered at him, but I I notice it happening, and sure. I wouldn't explode at him ever. Not that I explode at my mother, but I really I notice that she can push my buttons like nobody else, mm-hmm. and I think that's true for many of us. And I think it's because that's the oldest baggage we have. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of worked on the present and sort of excavated backwards, and so I just want people to know, yep, I'm still working on my own childhood. You know, as are most of us, but. It gets better, it gets easier, and it is so worth it because every bit you do makes it more possible for you to show up in the moment as the person you want to be.
0: Yes. So talk a little bit – now let's shift over back to the coaching Mm -hmm. practice. Talk a little bit about coaching our kids in problem solving and conflict resolution. A lot of my listeners have kids under five, Mm. which you write, you know, that's a lot of of your offer um, through your books and your e-course kind of has to do with those families with young kids. And I can hear their frustration when I remind them that the early years are a time for laying foundation. And, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, repetition, not a little bit, a
2: lot (laughs) of repetition.
0: (laughs) That happens before they start to see, you know, the results that they're hoping for, and there's a feeling of urgency, right? Like I can feel yes. it just in conversation with parents sometimes. Yes. There's this urgency that I think is born out of fear. Yes, that that their two-year-old biter is going to be the eight-year-old bully on the playground, you know, um, and they and, and I think that fear can often drive them to extremes. Mhm. Um because they want to stop the behavior. So what are some talk a little bit about that. What are some in the moment tools? Um I'm going I'm guessing we're going to talk about, you know, modeling and relationship as well with this. Um but what are the in the moment tools when when that aggressive behavior shows up between the kids? So of course
1: the first thing is to stop, drop and breathe. That's your in the moment tool because it allows you to regulate yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Stop drop, and breathe. When you breathe, you're not getting hijacked by your emotions. Mm-hmm. So you actually have a choice about how you're going to respond to the situation, right? And if you don't do that, you're going to find that you're responding in a way that isn't going to teach your children anything healthy about conflict resolution, right? Right. So, and I I understand the sense of urgency. I think parents worry that their child is going to grow up to be you know, an axe murderer because he keeps pushing his sister down, you know. <laughs> totally. Um, right? We
0: all go there. We all go there.
1: <laughs> um, but, of course, it's completely age appropriate for young children to have a hard time with conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Their their frontal cortex is not yet developed. Talking about the frontal cortex trying to control the amygdala, my goodness, you know, the, these kids, the amygdala is sending off fire alarms that say danger danger i'm never going to get my truck back or mommy loves her more or i want all of these cookies this still wouldn't be enough for me how come she gets any you know right right and, and so it feels like an emergency to them and that's completely age appropriate and it's completely age appropriate that at that moment you know the toddler grabs his sister's arm to bite it you know mm-hmm. or you know that the preschooler grabs her cookie or you know that the 4-year-old shoves her down or whatever so I would just encourage parents to talk themselves off the cliff, (laughs) you know, before (laughs) – don't go so close to the edge because everybody will go over the edge if you're too close to it. You know, you can Mm -hmm. get pushed over the edge. Just don't go there. Just stop yourself before you get there by having a little mantra that you use like Mm -hmm. um, conflict is an opportunity for teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. conflict is an opportunity for me to show them how to get along better so they can have a better relationship. Every time they have conflict, it's an opportunity for them to have a better relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Whatever or or he's acting like this because he really needs me, you mm-hmm. know? But whatever or it's not an emergency. Whatever works for you, you can experiment with different mantras, write them down and put them around the house and see what works for you. It has to be pretty simple for right. these moments when things get tough, but you'll find that it helps to Stop, drop, breathe, talk yourself off the cliff, all while you're moving quickly towards your children, Uh right? Okay, now you're able to actually get between them and stop any uh, eruption of violence that might be going on physically, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. it's just verbal violence, but maybe it's physical. So you get between them and you say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's everybody calm down now. Because think about it why are your children having an altercation? They're scared. They're scared. He's scared she's getting all the cookies Mm -hmm. or even one of them, you know, And or, you know, she's scared she's getting hit, whatever. And so at this moment, they think there's an emergency. So they can't listen to anything we have to say while their brains are on high alert thinking it's an emergency. They can't learn. The learning centers of the brain shut down when there's an emergency. They're just in fight, flight, or freeze. And if they're in fight or flight right now, their sibling looks like the enemy. Right. So they can't hear anything you have to say. They can't learn how to handle this better. And they can't stop attacking their sibling, either verbally or, or physically, until we calm them down a little bit. So our job is to stop the violence as calmly as we can, even verbal violence. Mm-hmm. So if it's physical, we get in between them. But if it's verbal violence, we might just say, whoa, words like that can hurt. Notice I'm not saying... I'm not attacking the kid who was verbally violent. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, don't you speak to your brother that way, right? I'm saying, wow, words like that could really hurt. I'm describing what's going on and setting a limit because they know hurting isn't what happens at our house. But I'm, I'm coming in a calm enough way between the two of them that they're looking to me now to support them in restoring order so they don't have to be so scared and at this point now you want to respond to the kid who's being if there's a kid who's being hurt either physically or verbally you want to first go to that kid you want to reassure them in whatever way i know we always want to go to the kid who's being who's doing the hurting we feel this urgent need to go to the kid who's hurt just hurt his brother and set him on the right track you know right yes <laughs> like it's urgent to teach him a lesson right except that we can't possibly do that in a constructive way we're just going to heighten the drama we're going right. to escalate the storm so i advise parents to ignore that child for the time being i know you feel an urgent need but you know you know where he lives <laughs> you know he's not going anywhere <laughs> you know yeah. so so instead go to the other child and say ouch looks like that hurt you okay, sweetie? Do you need a warm washcloth? Oh, okay, come here. And maybe or maybe it was just verbal violence mm-hmm. in which case, you know, sh- your your son is saying to his big sister who just called him a baby, I am not a baby. And then you say, it looks like you didn't like that when your sister said that to you. You can you can tell her. Now, he may be saying already, you know, I'm not a baby, but tell her you don't like that when she calls you names. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he says that, and she, he now has backup, right? If you left the children to try to work this out themselves, which is what we're usually advised to do, what we do is we encourage bullying. Yeah. And if you jump in on one side or the other, it's even worse than leaving it, them to work it out themselves. Right. If you jump in on one side or the other, if, like if you jump in on behalf of your son who just got called a baby by his big sister, uh, and you say, stop calling him names she's gonna think to herself even if she stops she's gonna think yeah right you always take his side mm-hmm. just baby you know <laughs> right right. right wait till she gets him alone right so you're actually building resentment you're building more sibling rivalry more resentment and you'll have more fighting but if you can resist taking sides and you know by the way you might be completely right maybe she always wins she always calls him names maybe she's nasty to him mm-hmm. and you want to put you want to stop that. You don't stop it by going between the kids and making her wrong. That will right. always add fuel to the fire, increase the drama, increase the sibling rivalry. That's not how you stop it. So we can come back to how you stop it if you want. But in this moment, in this altercation, your tool is to first, after you've calmed yourself down and you've stopped any on you know anything that's happening and you've tended to the one who felt victimized and you've coached them to stand up for themselves, then you turn to the other child and you say, you set a limit, but you start with what they were trying to do that created the problem. Like mm-hmm. like you say, um, it seems like you wanted your brother to do it your way. Mm-hmm. And when he wouldn't, you didn't know how else to get him to do it and you called him names. Is that right? Sweetheart, calling names isn't okay. Right. It hurts our feelings. You heard him say it hurts his feelings. But you could say to your brother, I want to do it this way because... Do you want to tell him why you wanted to do it that way? Why you want him to do it that way? Or maybe you could negotiate that you could do it your way for a while and his way for a while. This is a problem that I think you two could solve, right? What could you do? And now you're helping them shift into problem solving. But you've set a clear limit. Right. But done it in a way that your your daughter didn't feel defensive. If you had just said to her, don't you call names, you know better than that, she would have been defensive. But you said, I guess you really wanted to have XYZ happen, and you didn't know how else to get it except to do this. So if you always start with that, I guess what you wanted was, was this, and so you did – I, th- I guess you wanted this, so you did that. Mm-hmm. You might even say, how'd that work out for you? You know, as they get older,
0: you can do that. But Watching case, the tone, like, of course, when you like, deliver of that. Course, of course. Never, never
1: using that tone, of course. <laughs> but, But – doing a version of it all the time as your children grow up right into the teen years where you're saying, you wanted this so you did that. Mm, and then I guess that happened. Or or if you need to set a limit, but that's not okay no matter what, sweetie.
0: Right. right I'm hearing – we call that in pos- – I teach positive discipline and we call that connecting before correcting. Right? Exactly. And the child feels seen. You're beginning the repair of the relationship between you and child. Um, I love that and I love the unspoken messages too. I mean, unspoken messages come in all sorts of flavors and, you know, showing up to a conflict where people are really falling apart in a calm, connected body and mindset shows, hey, I can handle this. I'm here. I'm holding the space for the two of you, you know, and wow, as kids get older and, you know, challenges show up and tough mischief shows up, you know, knowing that your parent can handle it and Mm -hmm. isn't going to fly off the handle and Mm -hmm. is supportive and available even if you're the one that made the mistake. I think that's really powerful. Yes.
1: Yes, I agree completely and I love your term, holding the space. Because Mm -hmm. really that's what we're doing. We – you know, peaceful parenting. My book is Peaceful Parent Happy Kids or Peaceful Parent Happy Siblings. Peaceful parenting doesn't mean that you are always calm, but it means that you hold that space and you notice when it's getting escalated and you return yourself to a state of calm so that your children can learn from that. And so you're you're always holding the space
0: of calm in your household. So you also mention in your book, you talk a little bit about... Um, I don't know do you call it pacing birth pacing what do you call it birth it's not birth order but how
1: closely oh we... how close to space your children this is such yeah. an individual decision for sure but
0: it's interesting to read the the
1: research on it
0: yeah can we talk a little bit about that because i asked you know in my facebook group i i put out that i was going to be talking to you and um the two well a couple parents actually nope all three of them that that um that showed up with questions one has twin four-year-olds the other has three under five and then the third um yeah has baby number three is is due and the other two are under five as well so when we're navigating those really close in age under the age of five sibling dynamics um and we're outnumbered like even we don't even have enough hands right right (laughs) Right. What kinds of, uh, what tips do you have for parents? What, what are just some basic foundational things for that they could come away with to remember as they're in the weeds here in the under five time with kids that are real close in age? Well, one thing
1: I would let them know is that the research shows that the closer in age kids are, the more they fight, but the closer they are when they're older. And the reason, experts think, the researchers think that the reason is that they play more together and that in the end, what we remember is the play and the love and the close connection. So that should be encouraging to parents whose kids are close in age and are fighting. You know, um, they'll fight less if you space them further apart, but they also, it's harder to raise them so that they're close in age. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to actually work on that in a concerted way, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is it is just hard. There is no way when you have three children under the age of five that you can do anything, anything except parent those children. And you can't parent them up to the standards you might use if you only had two. It's just Mm -hmm. too hard, right? So you can expect that they're going to be, you know, like just assume you're never going to fold your laundry. They're always going to be wearing things out of the basket that aren't folded, you know, and half the time they'll be dirty. I mean, just assume that. Just, just do it. Assume that you're going to be having scrambled eggs for dinner a lot, you know, and uh-huh. carrots out of the bag, you know. You're just not going to be able to do everything that you might aspire to do as a parent when you have three kids that close in age because you're going to spend an awful lot of time, what I call floor time. You're down on the floor with your one-year-old, your three-year-old, and your five-year-old, and you're being the bridge between them. You're running interference. You're translating what one of them is saying to the other. So you say, you look frustrated. Or you wanted to play with your brother. Is that right? Or it looks like you're trying to tell your sister whatever. So you're having to supply that social skill to them. If you do it, and it's hard to do, right? Because you think you should be doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. But if you do this, everything turns around within three months. Your kids... Now, even a three-year-old, in three months, learn some of these skills. And a two-year-old. Now, will they always employ them? No. When they feel threatened by somebody else having more cookies, they will always go to the mat for more cookies, right? I mean, right. they don't... They just don't have the frontal cortex to really control themselves if they feel threatened. But you will find that when they're not threatened, the language they'll begin to use is, could I have that, Samantha? Or I'd like a turn, please, Robert. Mm-hmm. When will it be my turn? Right? They, three-year-olds can actually do that. I know it doesn't sound like it, but that's because we've never taught them to do it. Right. So I would advise anyone with little children to get down on the floor and see themselves as their kid's social skills teacher mm-hmm. for the next three months as much as possible. You can't do it 24-7, obviously, but you do it as much as you can. It's not – you're not um, avoiding the dishes. You are doing the most important thing you could possibly be doing for your child's development because – and and because they will learn these skills, you'll find that as time goes by, you're involved less and less. So it's really worth the investment of time at the beginning as much as you can.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love – how they parrot us, right? Good or bad, they're going to parrot us. So why not give them something to parrot that is helpful and not hurtful?
1: Exactly. And I would also add something that parents assume they just don't have time to do
0: So I know a lot of you out there listening have younger kids as well as teenagers in the house, and I'm excited to share with you about a new show that you and your younger kids are going to love. It's called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series trees, explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared towards kids ages six and up and can be enjoyed by the whole family. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for a car ride, mealtime, break times, or bedtime. Each is stacked with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About true histories with your kids, you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed
1: is spending one-on-one time. Mm -hmm. You know, if, for instance, let's say one of those moms who answered you is at home with three kids and her partner is working, you know, she just – how can she possibly spend one-on-one time? She's got three kids. But I would say move heaven and earth to find some one-on-one time. If the three-year-old and five-year-old end up going part-time to some sort of daycare or school so you get time with the baby um, and then you hire a mother's Mm -hmm. helper – to be with the baby a little bit so that you get time with the five-year-old or the three-year-old, or maybe, you know, the five-year-old no longer naps, but the three-year-old and the one-year-old do. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, try to figure out time every day that you can connect with each one of your children because it will pay you back in gold. It it just, spending that time one-on-one will eliminate so many of the conflicts your children will otherwise have with each other, because they will be, they won't be so worried about the scarce resource of your love. They'll be getting it. They'll be getting yeah. enough of
0: it. Well, I love that, and that's often one of the first suggestions I make with parents dealing with any type of conflict with kids, regardless of what it is. Is that special time is so powerful, and again sends a message and. Allows that child to feel like, hey, I fit in this family. I don't need to get into mischief to figure out how to belong. I have a healthy sense of belonging. Exactly. And that's so great. And, um, you know, in your book, you have the whole, you know, like end, the last quarter of your book is really about getting off to a good start. You know, when there is that new baby in the family and how to – build foundations. I'm just telling you, Laura, I wish I would have had this book like 10 years ago. Um, but I am absolutely going to suggest it to all of my listeners, especially those of you with kids under five or babies on the way. This is a powerful read, super, super helpful. Um, so when I work with parents, um, you know, towards week five or six of the seven-week class that I teach, I have them brainstorm a list of all the skills that they learned from their s- siblings, the good, the bad, mm, and the ugly, right? Wonderful. Yeah, and and so much, what shows up is that so much of our social and emotional skill development comes from our relationships with our siblings. And like you mentioned earlier, the bet, like in that mantra, the best time to practice skills is during times of conflict. And conflict doesn't have to be, you know, a fist fight, (laughs) like before the fist fight when the conflict first starts to erupt. Um, So, you know, what I try to tell parents too is it's not about getting rid of all sibling conflict. It's really about keeping it at a dull roar and recognizing it as an opportunity, like you said, an opportunity to practice skills. Would you – is that something that you would agree with?
1: Absolutely. And I agree with you that you can keep the conflict down. There's no reason that it needs to erupt and be really challenging mm-hmm. if you're following some basic preventive maintenance practices.
0: Yeah. And so what are some small steps you think that parents of, of young kids can take to begin to build that foundation for more cooperative and easygoing Sibling relationships. So there's the special time. There's the coaching, um, being with them in in uh, being a part of their relationship, right? And and mm. helping them with the language, being a model for that. Are there any other?
1: I think that we should talk about emotion a little bit. Okay, because let's do it. emotion is where we get into trouble, right? It's when you know one kid has a big emotion and they take it out on the other kid. So. If we can see ourselves as emotion coaches Mm. and we support our kids to express their emotions in healthy ways, that won't happen. They're not going to be taking them out on each other. And their future
0: spouses will be so grateful. Definitely.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, really... Those kids don't get divorced, right? When they're raised mm-hmm. that way, and in fact, there's a lot of research about this. John Gottman, who runs the Love Lab in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, who's one of the, the he's the most prominent uh, researcher on marriage today in the United States, and he has followed children who were born to his the people he studied uh, until they were adults and got married themselves, and he's watched their marriages, and he has looked he's been able to say the way we raise children and whether we emotion coach has a direct influence on the quality of their marriage when they get married. So, wow. you know, it's, it's not just conjecture. We've, it, there's, there's research out there that shows this is absolutely true. So I would say to parents who are wondering, well, okay, what does it mean to be an emotion coach? All emotions are allowed, mm-hmm. in fact, welcome. Not just a loud welcome. We don't really welcome emotions. We're like, "Oh my God, you have to cry again," <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, or oh, "Why is he always so angry?" Right. Right. So we actually get irritated at our children's emotions, and then they get a message that the emotion isn't okay. And sometimes we even punish them for emotions, or we try to, you know, minimize their emotions or discount them. You're not really upset about that, or don't be upset right. about that, right? Um, and Sometimes we try to distract them. Oh no, no, don't don't worry about that. Oh, you're not really hurt. Look at the nice doggy, you know. Right, right, so right. All of those ways of squashing our child's emotions give the kid the message that emotion is not okay and they should repress it. But what happens when we repress an emotion? You can't make it really go away. It's already there in the body because that's how we feel emotions. There's sensations in our body. And once you feel it, you can cut off awareness of it, like like at the neck, right? Or, or we can no longer be aware of it, but it's still there in your body.
0: Okay, so let's move a little bit now towards um, what I'm, I'm guessing may be happening with some listeners as they are taking in all the wisdom and all the goodness that you're sharing with us. I'm wondering about when we find ourselves recognizing that perhaps – there is some room for improvement in connection with our kids. The parent child connection maybe isn't as strong as it could be, or just hasn't been perhaps um, intentionally focused on. And, you know, what I'm hearing you say throughout this call is that relationship is really important, even at even wearing the lens of looking at the sibling relationship. So for the listeners that are finding themselves thinking, oh, wow, yeah, that definitely could be part of my problem, what are some steps um, that you might suggest for parents to, to strengthen their relationships with the kids in their life that, you know, where they're seeing that um, disconnect?
1: Well, I think that it's a great point that so much of what goes on between siblings is the reflection of the child's experience in general, like with the other most important people in their life, the parents. And if they feel like they're not as as important to their parents as they'd like to be, then they're naturally going to have a whole lot more sibling jealousy. Mm. So I think that's absolutely the place to start. So some things parents can do. First, spend one-on-one time with each child every day. Another thing I would advise for parents to build the strength in the relationship, to deepen it, and to build trust is think about every single thing your child does as a bid for connection with you. Maybe they come downstairs and they say, it's raining again. I hate it. That's a bid for connection. They want you to understand. You might feel like, oh my goodness, he's always so negative. Or you might feel like you might not even register it on that level and just say, well, hey, buddy, you know, there's the trees need water too. Instead, just take a deep breath and empathize. You sound pretty disappointed. You didn't want it to rain, Mm -hmm. huh? Right? Whatever he says, if he says, you always, you never, she always gets her way, whatever he says, your response needs to be, wow, that could really hurt your feelings if you think I always say that to you. I'm so sorry if I hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to do that. Tell me more. Whatever your kid says, your response is, wow. Thanks for sharing that with me. Tell me more about it. And what you do is you, first of all, let your kid get out all the negativity and the chip on their shoulder so they start to feel understood. And then secondly, you're building trust. They know you will always listen to them and you care about how they feel. You you may not always give them what they want, but you're in their corner. And once they feel that, everything begins to shift in your relationship and deepen, and they're so much nicer to their sibling.
0: Yeah. Man, and aren't they our mirrors, like that ev- always the always talk and the never talk. I was mm. uh, just last night <laughs> um, getting my son to bed, and I've been out of town working quite a bit in the last few weeks, and um, just, you know, he kept getting distracted, kept getting distracted, and my, I found myself saying, you know, I'm really feeling dismissed and ignored, and it's making it really hard for me to spend time with you at bedtime. And then I had a moment of kind of like an aha moment and said, do I ever make you feel dismissed and ignored? And he looked up from his book and looked me straight in the eye and he said, yeah, sometimes you do. And I just thought to myself, oh, man, you know, and then we had a conversation about what we're going to do better. I got to reflect on on my part in the problem. And give him time and space to also connect with me there. It was really powerful. Thank you for all of the wisdom that you have shared with us, Dr. Laura. I'm so grateful that you were able to come on the call. I have one last question for you. And that is, what does joyful courage mean to you? Wow. Okay.
1: Joyful courage. I think that... This kind of parenting puts the joy back into child raising. You know, it's, it's a, a trope in our culture that parenting is no fun, it's too much work. And it's because we're somehow too obsessive or too something not good enough as parents in some way. You know, we, we helicopter, we don't do it right, whatever. There's a lot of pressure on parents. And I actually think that's misguided, that idea that somehow we're doing it wrong and therefore it's no fun. I actually think that the minute we start to become fully present and connect, there's a lot of joy in parenting. And it's not because your life suddenly becomes perfect or your child becomes perfect or you become perfect. It's because that's how parents and children are designed. They, they do give us joy or, or the human race wouldn't be here. And I think the courage part, change requires great courage. You know, we're all here on the planet growing. That's our job is to grow. I believe Uh, we're growing and bringing more love into the world, creating love where there wasn't any before. And one wonderful way to do that, it's not the only way, but it's a great way, is parenting. And that kind of creation of love takes great courage. We have to stop ourselves when we we start to go down those well-worn paths of our own tantrums or our own frustrations, we have to stop ourselves and recognize that actually coming back into the present moment, I could choose love here. I could choose self-regulation for myself. I could choose connection with my child. I could choose to coach my child instead of lashing out. And that willingness to do that, that choosing love takes great courage, I find. But I think it's the combination of the willingness, the the courage to choose love and the and the joy that we then find as we connect with our children that makes life worth living.
0: Mm, thank you. I've been known to say that I didn't realize I had so much self-growth available to me until I was a mother. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, will you please share with the listeners, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes, but where do you hang out on social media?
1: Well, first of all, my website is ahaparenting.com. So aha, like those aha moments, A-H-A, and then parenting, what you do when you have kids.com. It's more than a thousand pages of free information for parents of all age children, birth to, and in fact, pregnancy through the teen years. So that's the first thing. Uh, on any page of that website, you can sign up for my newsletter. Again, it's a free public service. You can choose to get it once a week. You can choose to get it three times a week, which you get some, some extra, two extra emails that are very in-depth sort of blueprints to support you in your parenting.
0: And I get uh, that. I get your newsletters. And you man, they are so, so helpful. And they always seem to come at the perfect time. <laughs> You
1: know, it's funny. I hear that from people. Mm -hmm. And I don't schedule them in advance. I'm moved each time I send one, each day that I sit down to do them. I'm moved in a particular direction. So I don't know whether that's because I know Casey needs to hear this today. or (laughs) And, you know, thousands of other people need to hear it. I don't know why. But I hear all the time, oh, it came at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because, truthfully, we're all working on the same stuff all the time, yeah. which is just the things we've talked about in this call. Anyway, they're there for your support, the newsletters. And then um, you can also find me on my Facebook page, which is uh Aha Parenting, A-H-A-Parenting.com. And you can, I have two books, Peaceful Parent Happy Kids, mm-hmm. Yelling and Stop Start Connecting. And then Peaceful Parent Happy Siblings, how to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. And both of them are available at your local bookstore or Amazon. Uh, I tell parents all the time, go to your library. Just call your library and ask if they'll order it for you because they do. And they're always happy because it ends up being checked out a lot. So libraries like it when you turn them on to books that are then popular with readers. So those are the best ways to reach me. I do have a Twitter um Account uh, at Dr. Laura Markham. And so you can follow me there. And mostly what I tweet are links to articles I like about parenting, as well as studies. I keep my eye on the studies that come out. So, for instance, today I read two great studies about how when children play outside more, they're less likely to need glasses. Their eyes work. Mm. And it's not, we used to think it was because they stare at a screen all day inside. But it turns out it's partly the vitamin D that we make when we're in sunlight, but it's partly simply the light. There's something about the light. It's the way human eyes are designed to function out in the light. And it keeps eyes healthier. So we actually have an epidemic of children needing glasses uh, in the United States and in many other countries because they don't get enough light. Anyway, that's an example of two studies I'll be tweeting tomorrow. So that's I guess that's how people can find me.
0: Great, great. Well, thank you so much, listeners. I'll make sure that all of those links, including links to those two books that Dr. Laura mentioned, are in the show notes, so check there. And thank you again for taking time to talk to me and to share such great information and wisdom and advice with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Casey, it was my great pleasure. All right. You have a great day. You too. Wow, I'm just gonna sit here and bask in the glory of being in conversation with one of my idols, a parent educator that I really look up to, both for the work that she puts out in the world and the way that she does it. So grateful that Dr. Laura Markham was willing to spend some time with me and actually three different times with me because I don't know if you noticed, but We had some technical difficulties and had to continuously reschedule and record. So anyway, big, huge love and thanks to Dr. Laura. I hope that you took tons out of that conversation. Again, I can't say enough about her books, Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids, Peaceful Parents, Happy Siblings. Go to her website, ahaparenting.com. It is full full of information no matter what age kid you have there is something there for you and while you're at it head on over to the live in love with joyful courage facebook group and join us join us be a part of the community let me know what you thought about the podcast let me know what else you'd like to hear on the podcast if you're not subscribed do you know that you can subscribe to the joyful courage parenting podcast on itunes That way, you get new episodes automatically as soon as they go live straight to your device, whether it's your phone or your tablet or your computer. So make that happen, people. And also, like you heard me talking at the very beginning, Maslow is the current sponsor of the podcast. And if you are interested in checking out the Common Connected Parenting Program for free, send me an email. Send me an email with the subject line Maslow coupon and I will give you information about that. All right. Big huge love to each and every one of you out there on the parenting journey. We are all doing the best we can with the skills we have. I am grateful and honored to be someone that you tune into and listen to. Um, I'm living my passion and I'm so, so, so happy I get to share it with you. So, Big love, my friends. Have a beautiful, beautiful day and parent on.